welcome to a rare night edition of Fully Equipped. We're calling this an emergency pod. Yes, you heard us on Monday. Yes, today is Wednesday. You're wondering why the hell you're hearing our voices two times in one week. It's because today is a very big day, especially if you are somebody who plays golf for a living. Uh, Not just professionals, but amateurs, as we found out officially. So... I'm gonna I'm gonna assume that if you're listening to this podcast, you're you're very aware that the USGA and the RNA have been looking closely at ways to curb distance. This goes all the way back to 2021 when they started to do their their distance insight report. They've been tracking distance. Actually, we had a chance today to chat with uh, Thomas Pagel from the USGA, who's the chief governance officer. Um, I pointed out because he gave some interesting insights, but going back to the USJ and the RNA, they've been tracking distance. They've been looking at ways to curb distance at the top of the game, and they have been laser focused on the golf ball. That is the one area where they feel like they can make some, um, some serious, I won't say gains because they're not looking for distance gains here, but they're looking for ways to corral distance, slow it down, not stop it, but they they feel like it's getting out of control with with all of these guys that are swing the high swing speed guys that we're now seeing at the professional ranks. So they've started the distance insight report. They've been focusing on ways to curb distance, and now they have officially announced that they are going to be rolling back the golf ball. But going all the way back to March, that was just targeting the professionals and elite amateurs. This will officially include everyday golfers as well. Boys, this is an interesting time. And hey, by the way, we have the whole crew on for this emergency pod. pod. Serial killer, RB, live from South Carolina, and Uncle Gene. What what are we thinking here? We're gonna we're gonna dive into this. As as I should probably point out, we we did a pretty good job of covering it in Monday's pod. Mm-hmm. So we're going to keep it to all of the, the specifics and a few things that I don't think a lot of people are going to be discussing. But what was your your initial reaction? You've seen the report now. Are you surprised? Not surprised? What's the deal? There's a, there's a big part of me that actually is surprised that it didn't go far enough uh, to be like really fair. Um but as far as the idea of what they're going after and what they've also included in this rule when it comes to the drivers and the potential for change there, uh, that to me is like probably the biggest thing because as, as, I've, as I've already explained, like I think at the highest level, there is going to be the most massive amount of change, but the amateur level, there's going to be from a noticeable perspective, a limited amount of change for what those golfers are going to experience. And so don't give it away yet, RB. I'm not, I won't, I'm not going to, oh, we'll, 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 we'll roll it back real quick as far as the, the, uh, content, like, you know, conversation is concerned. But I think that, uh, I'm not surprised considering what we, we thought we were going to hear. But there's still part of me that, like, I think the USGA is, is, this is I I really truly believe this is just the start of what they what they. There's a reason. Do. There is a reason why I don't think they went 
far enough. And we'll definitely get into that. But I want to hear from from Uncle G and Serial Killer. What do you guys think? I, I'm honestly a little surprised they did it, to be honest with you. I, I don't know if it's going to have a ton of backlash from the, the weekend warrior and the, and the everyday player. Most of us aren't going to notice a difference, but the, uh, the tour player, uh, I mean, elite players like Rory, but the guys that aren't necessarily the, the one half of the one percenters that are out on tour that don't struggle with distance. I, I don't know. Cause I mean, those guys, they may have to retool a lot in their game to essentially be now acclimated to this new ball rollback thing. Guys that are already high spin players. Now you have a golf ball that's slower, that spins more. I mean, I feel like there's going to be a little bit of a ripple effect when it comes to just, golf club design in general that now you know complements new golf ball i think there's there's definitely going to be some some ripple effect going on throughout the industry with it gene's just quiet uh, are you trying to get your thoughts well, together uncle gene i know it's late, no, 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 i know no, it's no, past no, your no. bedtime I, I just i'm just <laughs> <laughs> sleeping time um no it's it's you know, it's uh, going back to the you know when we originally started talking about this in the summer. It's it's fascinating to me, and I think the thing that I, I'm curious about is there's there's two entities that matter in this, and that is the PGA Tour and Live, and how they react to it. Because at the end of the day, what's fascinating about this is the local rule. The PGA Tour and Live said. Eh, we're not interested in that. We're not going to follow that. So, um, so they're like, Oh, okay. Well, if you guys aren't going to follow it, we're going to do it for everybody. Well, guess what? Those two are still entertainment organizations that they, they are not required to follow the USGA and the RNA rules with the exception of two events that they don't govern. And so the big question is if they go, eh, we're out we're going to just play our own golf ball and we're going to continue business as usual. There's nothing the USG and the RNA can do, but you're going to see a collapse or a potential collapse of the rule system because of it. So it to me is the ultimate showdown because the PGA tour and live, they basically went on record this summer and said, yeah, we're not too crazy about that. And we're not going to follow it. So why would they do it now? They're not obligated to. They do so voluntarily. They don't do so out of any sort of legal or contractual um, reasoning. So if they don't follow it, that means everybody else gets punished for a rule that's only for the elite players. And it goes back to my whole issue with the way the game is governed is and you know my analogy is if the AFL CIO or CEO um, went to the top Fortune 500 CEOs and pulled them and determined what union policy was going to be like based upon what CEOs do. That's what we do in the golf industry. We're looking at the elite of the elite, and it's defining who we are as amateurs. And I I don't play that game that they play. I I can tell you, I went out and played golf yesterday course is plenty long enough. You know, I, 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 
I don't need any rollback. I need a little bit of distance gain at 57. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's going to be a tough sell and it's going to be a tough sell in four years. You know, if I want to play a spinnier ball, that's going to start flying higher in the wind. That, that doesn't sound terribly appealing to me. It's so the, the initial question that I had for, for Thomas Bagel was why everybody, why go from, March, you're talking about at MLR for professionals and elite amateurs to now you're, uh, you know, nine months later, you're going to, you're lumping everybody into this rollback. And his reasoning was that when they started talking to the PG of America and a lot of other, what they call stakeholders, there was tons of confusion about where, where do you draw this line? And they just started to realize, look, we we don't necessarily have all the answers here. Not quite sure we're going to get them. We want to get something in place. And so for us, we're going to to roll the ball back for everybody. Now, the, the way that they're doing this is, and I always struggle on this podcast because I realize there are a lot of really smart people out there, but I also realize that there are new golfers. So I don't want to get too far into the weeds. But the, the USGA tests their golf balls on... They test it on a robot, right, Gene? They test it on my robot. They test it on your robot. That's, uh, that's what I was getting, getting to. Um, they test the robot. Uh, they used to, under the current conditions, I shouldn't say used to, they currently test balls, uh, and they, they established this 20 years ago. They, they test it at 120 miles an hour, which is equivalent to about 176 miles an hour ball speed, uh, just over 2,500 RPMs spin with a 10-degree launch angle. Under the new ball testing conditions, they're going to test all these golf balls at 125 miles an hour clubhead speed, which is equivalent to 183. Now, the 183 is important because when they were looking at the longest hitters on the professional tours in 2023, the fastest 10 players had an average ball speed of 186 miles an hour. So they're trying to get somewhere close. They they considered going to 127, but they settled on 125. Spin rate drops, which makes sense because a lot of these guys, if you're in that 183, you're a high launch, low spin. So they're going from 2,500 to 2,200 for the test and raising the launch angle to 11 degrees. Now, there was there's a lot of misinformation out there. And look, this happens because everybody starts to panic when they start hearing that my golf ball, meaning recreational golfers are going to have their golf ball rolled back as well. And there were stories out there saying that every club in your bag, people, people out on social media, I'm not going to say who were saying that every club in your bag is going to, is going to be 10 to 11 yards shorter. Every club that's bullshit. I'm sorry. It is. That is not true. It's not going to be every club. What are you saying? Like a 30-yard wedge shot, you're going to lose? It, get out of here with this. And so this is what happens is you start spreading and peddling this misinformation, and you get into a situation where everybody freaks out. So the, the USGA confirmed that, yes, for the longest hitters, those guys that are above 183, they're going to see a, a significant reduction with the driver somewhere in the neighborhood of 13 to 15 yards in driver distance. The average professional who's not in that, you know, 183 plus range, they're going to see somewhere in the, the nine to 11 yard range. Now, as we start to get into the slower swing speeds, now we're talking about, you know, maybe around hundred, maybe a little bit above hundred. We're going to see that five to seven yard range. 
Now, when you get down into the, the, what, what is essentially Uncle Gene out there swinging it, we're talking, you know, hey, 90- I'm one oh, I'm one oh two. Smart <laughs> ass. Shots fired. Shots fired. This is. Uh, I'm, I'm joking. This when, when you those get down are, to those the are, those are fighting words. <laughs> when you get down to we we uh, for club test use the the golf laboratory swing robot and we we swing it with the driver at 95, which we feel like is an average swing speed. The USGA agrees. Research shows that an average swing speed of 93 uh, is about an average male swing speed and it's 72 for females. Now, the, the USGA wants to point out that if you're in this range, 93 and below, 72 and below for, for females, you're going to see five yards or less. And they're, they're pretty confident that, that with these testing standards, it, you're not even going to notice it. That's what they're saying. And they want to point something very important out because as I mentioned before, a lot of misinformation out there about it being a across the board decrease with your clubs. The the USGA said that you will see the biggest decrease with your driver. But once you get down into the mid irons going into your scoring clubs, they said it, 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 I think it's important to pull all of this out. Like let's, let's stop the misinformation Let's just see what happens before we start saying that you're going to be a club shorter across the board. I, I just, I cannot stand when people just peddle this misinformation. So here's where we're at. This, these are the testing standards that golf balls are going to be tested at. And for the most part, they're saying that the, the average golfer is not really going to see much in the way of a distance loss. This is where I would say like to Chris as a fitter and to your network of fitters at TrueSpec, and what I've seen in the past many, many times is this is where I think it's very interesting because for most golfers, and we've had this conversation many, many times on the podcast, the average swing speed player and anybody below actually does not launch the golf ball high enough or spin it enough to make it to create a, what I would say, a playable ball flight into greens. So if we are giving golfers extra height and extra spin based on aerodynamics or weight or size or whatever it happens to be that is going to create these shorter distance standards for the highest swing speed players, well then for the lower swing speed players, this could actually be a benefit to hitting the golf ball closer and stopping it to their target. Am I right in that or am I completely crazy in thinking that a golf ball that actually spins a little bit more is going to benefit those players at the lowest swing speed. I mean, if you look at what's available currently on the market, there are higher launching, higher spinning golf balls available. But the majority of players that come to TrueSpec and specifically come to see us for custom fittings, I mean, that demographic of player isn't going to Walmart and buying you know, a, a higher launching, higher spinning golf ball. They want to play essentially what's represented on tour. They're playing, you know, three piece, four piece, five piece golf balls, and they are looking for the particular performance characteristics that you would expect to see from those golf balls, whether they need them or not. So, I mean, you're talking about misinformation. And I mean, there's always an opportunity for us at TrueSpec in a fitting environment to educate the client. I mean, the amount of people, to your point, that I see come into uh, the fitting environment that actually have good launch and good spin numbers is is definitely low from what 
you may think. So, I mean, there's an opportunity here to educate the consumer and encourage them that, you know, you can still play, you know, let's just say hypothetically your Pro V1X and under these new conditions for your particular game, it's now going to perform even better than it did three years ago or whatever the case may be. So, I mean, I would agree that launch and spin isn't a bad thing for the majority of us. I mean, myself included, I'm a low launch, low spin player. So I'm looking at this and I'm going, I'd give up five yards to have more control and essentially see a better and more consistent ball flight off of the driver. I'd give up five yards, assuming that I even hit the center uh, more often than not, which day to day, and some days you flush the driver, other days, uh, not so much. So I, I think most of us in the amateur world won't see a significant difference to the point to where there's any reason to run up the, you know, run up the red flag here. It's, it's going to cause a ripple effect, in my opinion, with the club manufacturers because what drives sales? Tour. And so what's successful on tour is generally what people come through the door asking for. So as the OEMs now try and uh, get maximum speed back out of drivers with slower golf balls, you know, I think there's just going to be a ripple effect you know, that, uh, that carries down to the rest of us. Like I was saying at the beginning of the pod, you know, will the vast majority of us notice a difference right away? Nope. Don't think so whatsoever. But, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see what happens in the equipment space. If now we see lower launching, lower spinning heads to get more distance out of a higher launching, higher spinning golf ball. And that's where I, I think Jay wall, you want to, you want to kind of touch on, a couple of other things that are in this press release. Yeah. So, well, it, you bring up a good point, Chris, because the the golf balls used on tour are the ones that everybody tends to talk about, and those are the ones that everybody uh-huh. typically plays. I mean, what's what's the most played golf ball for Titleist? Pro V One. It's yeah, Pro V One, Pro V One X. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, in in the release, in in the USGA also pointed this out during our conversation. They said that based on the revised ball testing conditions, actually more than 30% of all golf ball models submitted for conformance currently would would remain conforming after the changes are applied. But these aren't golf balls that, I mean, of that 30%, we're, we're not talking about any of the golf balls that you're seeing out on tour. Um, so... Those will be changing, but it is it is interesting. I mean, if you are playing, and they didn't say specifically because they don't care, uh, like the name of a brand and a model, that there are going to be some of those. And I'm sure as as the the next few years go on, and we do have time for people that are are maybe listening to this and and wondering why the hell haven't you told me when this is going to be going into effect? Yeah, I, I am dragging this out a little bit. So uh, this is going to be a staggered. Um, a staggered acceptance of of these new ball testing conditions. So, for professionals starting in 2028, they are going to have two years where they're going to be playing the new golf balls out on tour, and then in 2030, 
everybody's going to be accepting these these new these new rules. So everyday golfers have a few more years to watch and see what happens on the pro tours. I think it also gives the USGA and the RNA an opportunity to to see what happens and if they need to make any additional tweaks. <laughs> there may be some additional tweaks. Yes. Um, this but, is Go ahead. I was just saying like the funny thing is about this like step process and actually one of our editors at golf.com Jack Hirsch mentioned this earlier today like 2024 is the official drop dead date for square grooves so if you're still playing SM4 from Vokey and you're playing in your recreational golf buddy league those are still legal even though they came out many many years ago at this point right so I don't think a lot of people that, that this is yeah, and that's the thing, right? Like, if you're out playing in your normal golf league and you're playing, your, you're submitting a handicap, and you are a golfer that is submitting your handicap, those old old square grooves. God bless you if they're still spinning the same way from that many years ago, and you're you're playing that much golf. If they are conforming, you can still. Sorry, if they are still usable, they are. You can still use them to submit your handicap. But for high-level amateurs and professional golfers, those were dead in like 2020-10. Like those were, there were, you couldn't get those anymore, manufacturer and producing them. So like that was it. That was the drop dead date. So when it comes to this golf ball, again, the people who are concerned about this, like let's say Tiger. Tiger's what, 40, going to be 48 years old this year? He's going to be in his mid-50s by the time this thing is like, anyone's even worrying about it. And the thing that we're talking about now even is like the players like Gordon Sargent who are touching in at like 126, 127, 128, even higher clubhead speed. He's like reaching mid-190s ball speed with control, which is insane. It is absolutely from a physics, from a biomechanist standpoint, like absolutely the top of the – Standard deviation pyramid is unbelievable what that person can do with the golf ball. He is what, early 20s? So he's going to be mid 20s. What we're really focused on is the players that are in their teenager, teenage years right now, like Blocky's kid. I know that's, I, I just know, <laughs> no offense to, I just, we're just no going to call a Blocky's kid forever. Because everyone went, everyone went nuts over him. Like you saw it on social media. Like, He's the fastest teenager alive, blah, blah, blah. But when he would be in his 20s, that is when this rule will be in effect. And that is what we're focused on is like those players that are four, five, six years down the line coming into the professional game, what that means to their launch characteristics. But also, because that's the thing, like for me, I'm going to be in my my – early 40s and i will happily take a rollback golf ball as i've said right i've rolled back the golf ball personally for myself with a kirkland golf ball and a persimmon driver you're many, not, not going to roll back your you're not going to roll back your stance rb i'm not rolling it back but listen i'm still going to work my freaking tail off to to maximize my clubhead speed because i want to play my best golf possible but i'm still willing to play my best golf possible within the rules of golf that the usga decides to limit and I'm okay with that. All right. Listen, I've tried a 47-inch driver. It was a completely failed experiment. I've gone to 46 or just under 46. 
I'm happy with that, and I will continue to do that. But I'm okay with understanding that the game of golf is bigger than me as an individual. It is bigger than any other player. And so the rules of the rules of golf, like with I know Gene's a political science major, like we, we he likes to mention that, and I, I we we have great conversations off the microphone about it. But the greater good of the game is more important than one individual saying, "You can't take this from me," because we are talking years and years down the line, and the overall health of the game of golf, and it doesn't just talk about the golf ball. But the USGA has hinted oh, that we're we're, transi- we're transitioning into this. Yeah, yeah. Say it. Say it. We might start looking at the driver as well, which I think is probably one of the most interesting yeah. parts of this release. The, it's not. It's not one of. It is the most interesting. I'll be honest. the The announcement of the golf ball to me is like secondary in this by far. This is a very interesting time for the USGA because they even admitted that by the time that this goes into effect, like 183, uh, the number that they have for the for ball speed on this 125 mile an hour clubhead speed, it's you know we're already at an average of 186 for the 10 fastest players. They they know that that number is going to keep going up because. What's what's the easiest way to regain that lost distance? Swing faster. And I think that's what you're going to see. You're going to see guys get faster. Gordon Sargent's a great example of somebody who can, you know, swing it and, and it looks controlled. I mean, it does not look like he's ripping at the golf ball like Bryson when he's just absolutely, you know, Gene calls it going, going full Mongo. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, he looks like he's just ripping at the golf ball. Gordon Sargent doesn't look like that. So they're, they're, they're not expecting these changes to, to stop the, the march towards more distance. It's just trying to slow it down, but how can you do it? If guys are getting faster, the golf ball is only one part of the equation. The other part is the driver. So in addition to the new ball testing conditions, uh, the USJ and the RNA are going to start doing a couple of things. One of them is not really going to affect you all that much. And that's going to be the expansion of their testing approach to better detect driver creep. We're all creeps on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> but it, really, what what is this? So you've probably heard us talk about before CT creep. And we're, we're talking about the spring-like effect of a driver face. And, and CT is, is how you're able to measure this. Well, the, the USGA has uh, got clearance from the PGA Tour to start not only checking the CT of driver heads on the trucks of the manufacturers that are out there early in the week. They are now testing the CT on the drivers being used the gamer drivers being used by the best players in the world. I mean, I was out at, at an RSM in Sea Island and it was for just a couple of days. I mean, they were going back and forth with drivers, grab a driver, you'd see them disappear, come back, put it in a bag. They're testing those drivers because the, the fact of the matter is the PGA tour pros, when they get a driver, that driver is conforming the, the, the CT 
when that's tested by the USGA, that driver is conforming. But over time, with all the balls that they're hitting, those drivers become non-conforming. So that driver creep is making sure that that driver, when they're playing a tournament, is is still conforming. And you know, Bryson actually suggested similar to what they do in the in auto sports like Formula One and NASCAR. Maybe you should test the clubs at the end of a tournament to see if they're still conforming, which I, I find to be a, a fascinating idea. So what they're going to do is they're going to start uh, regularly being more proactive in addressing the the CT because not only are they seeing the, the pros using drivers that might be non-conforming, but when we've seen it, some of the manufacturers have even touted that their drivers, when you buy them, are just at the razor's edge of being non-conforming. Some of the manufacturers, they touted that. So now the USGA is saying, hey, look, not only are we going to start checking the drivers that your pros are using out on tour to make sure that they're conforming, but we're going to start checking the drivers that you're sending us. And if we don't like the way that it tests, we're going to ask you for eight heads. And if some of those heads don't pass the test, we're going to tell you the driver's not conforming. And this is, I think, and I'll have to go back and look and see because, uh, dude, I've been looking at so many documents today. Um, I think it was, it is 150 impacts at 125 miles an hour. So they're going up to, to the top end, basically those elite speed guys, and they're going to test it. And if it doesn't still have a CT that's legal after those hits, send it back. So they're already telling the manufacturers, look, you better be careful because we're going to start we're going to start dinging you for your drivers if they're not passing that test. So they're already telling them, "Hey, you need to start slowing it down because if that driver can't go 150, you know, swings at 125 and pass, then we got a problem." So that's one part of it. What well, do you guys think on that? I was going to say quickly like that's their margin like their margin of error is like like whatever the COR or CT is, and then they have the margin of error of going over. Well, like the OEMs are so good that they are working within that margin of error, right? Like oh, they are sure. working that they are working within that margin of error of saying like, it's Listen. it's two it's two thirty nine. the the <clears throat> The current limit is is two thirty nine with a testing tolerance of eighteen. So that's how you get to the to the magic two fifty seven number. And that's the number that manufacturers have been have been getting close to with the retail drivers. So this is this is where they're kind of starting to drop. You know, I think they're starting to put up the the, the yellow light, telling them, "Hey, slow down a little bit. You're 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 pushing just a little bit too much with these retail heads, and you might want to slow it down to make sure that it passes the test if we decide to start putting it through 150 swing test at 125." Well, the first time, the first time that this was like really like brought up in the retail space was the M5. The M5 and M6 had the speed ports, and TaylorMade. I'm not picking on TaylorMade, but they said, "Yeah, but they did. They did say it. We, are, we manufacture our drivers over the limit, and we use these speed injection ports to actually slow the drivers down yep. right to the limit." And then they, they did that with the M6. They did it with the uh, M5 and M6. They did it with the SIM. And they said, like, we are doing this 
and then we were slowing the driver down because like that is the way we were manufacturing them. And I think the USGA is looking at that going, you know what? We don't really like that. And I, you know what? I get that. I completely understand that because like to use the FIA, um, what is that? Uh, something, whatever, auto racing, whatever the FIA is, <laughs> the one, the, the governing bodies of F1, I, I, uh, whatever. So like I can remember a specific time when Sebastian Vettel, F1, multiple F1 champion, he finished a race driving and he finished like on the podium, but he did not have enough gas in his gas tank for the regulators at the end of the race to the Bryson point to test the gasoline that was in the car. He literally ran out of gas as he was finishing the final lap, he finished the race, could not get back to pit lane. They could not test the rest of the gasoline in the tank. That was a mistake on the engineer's part for how much gas was in that tank based on the models that they had created to get to that point. And guess what? Not only did they not finish on the podium, even though they finished in the top three, they were disqualified. And that is worth hundreds of thousands of dollars in that race. That is worth hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in points for the final constructor series, like that is worth millions and millions of dollars worth of a mistake because of, you know, tens of milliliters of gasoline that was left in that tank. So if we are going to talk about the most, like the most professional league of golf, and we are going to talk about what, what gambling is involved, we are going to talk about what stakes are involved as far as money is concerned. You know what? I think you should test before and after a round. And it doesn't, it doesn't, it, it takes, as you've seen, Jonathan, and I saw in Las Vegas this year, it takes 10 minutes. They bring the driver in, they drop the ball bearing, they go boop, boop, boop. Okay, it's good. Let's go. Or it's good or it's not. And it takes, takes 10 minutes. So to do that and to think of the amount of money that's involved and all of these companies that are involved, they can work on those tolerances. Yeah. I, I totally agree, but the, you might be wondering, all right, who cares? See, you know, CT creep, driver creep, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, maybe my driver is not as, as fast as it, as it once was when it, when it comes out of the, when it comes off the, the manufacturing belt. Okay. Well, what about if your driver wasn't as forgiving? This is the most fascinating one. So the the USGA and the RNA are going to do nothing for now, but they did confirm that they are going to continue to research forgiveness of drivers, but at the elite level. So they said that they are increasingly aware of stakeholders' concerns around the level of forgiveness of drivers when used by elite golfers, specifically with off-center hits resulting in minimal impact on accuracy and hitting distance. Some stakeholders have voiced their concerns that there is limited risk to the elite player in continuing to pursue greater club head speed, thus diminishing an important risk-reward aspect of the game. So, whoo boy. Now we're going to, you know, this is what I said. I, I, I think the golf ball is, is, just, is just the beginning. Um, they're going to now start looking at, at off-center. And Gene, we've seen it with the robot. You know, it's funny. I had a conversation today with some colleagues and they were saying, you know, all the manufacturers, all they ever do every year is say how much 
how much longer their driver is in the previous one. And I said, yeah, you know, sometimes they do, but a lot of manufacturers have gotten away from touting their, you know, game changing gains out of the center because most golfers don't hit it there. What they've been doing is they've been telling golfers, Hey, look, we're going to now tighten that carry Delta for you by making that driver more consistent out of the heel and the toe. So that if you hit it 250, you know, dead nuts out of the middle, maybe you now hit it, you know, 243, 242 uh, out of those, you know, areas where you should be penalized. And that's where you're able to get similar numbers and not see a, you know, a 220 or a 210 drive. Um, this is, this is, I think the fascinating part for me is that they're now looking at the, you know, at least at the elite level, I, who the hell knows? Because I could say this to me feels like bifurcation. If you're going to look at it at the elite level and potentially make changes there for the drivers, that's bifurcation because would you really penalize the, the everyday golfers? But on the flip side, here we are and we're talking about a rollback for all. But I think this is the most interesting part is that now that they've got the changes in place for the ball, at least for the moment, now they shift the focus to the driver, not just the driver, but the driver creep. So that means maybe slowing the face down a little bit. And then now also focusing on off-center forgiveness at the elite level. Well, the the other thing to remember about off-center hits is it's not just a distance loss. I think what they're probably going to look at, um, and this actually made someone like Jack Nicholas really exceptional in his day in his ability to strike a persimmon wood in the center of the club face. Because when you get three quarters of an inch off on a persimmon driver, you get so much side spin. And so it's not so much just the distance loss, but it's the curvature and the side spin. And For so, sure. and none of, and none of these guys back then, and a lot of, there are a lot of players now that hit a straight ball, but there's still a lot that swing inside out or a little outside in to play the power um, fade. But it's the side spin that's the killer. And the side spin's the killer for two reasons. One, for distance. Well, it can help, to be honest, on a, on a draw. But um, the other is uh, in the wind. I mean, when you get side spin in the wind, it gets accentuated. So higher club head speeds. And I remember when I first started working with Bryson years ago, he told me, he said, listen, he said, every guy out here hits the ball all over the club face. They use the entire club face and they know. And, you know, you, you hear things like Rory's miss is kind of a low heel miss because he knows that's going to leak right a little bit and it's going to, you know, allow him not to have the snap hook, which he fears. And so these guys know where on the face they can miss that allows the ball to still find the fairway or, or get close. Um, once you start looking at off-center hits, especially in relation to CG position, you can potentially create conditions like the old persimmon driver where it's a complete risk-reward, where if you hit it in the center of the club face, you can, maxim you can still get the same maximum performance, but if you go as little as you know half to three quarters of an inch, you start getting massive side spin, and that will be a regulator in and of itself. Do I agree with it? Hey, that's once again, I I see this whole thing as ultimately do, do the tourists decide to play ball with this? 
My gut feeling is they don't, but time will tell. Yeah. We have time on our hands though. We've got until 2028 for the golf ball for the pros and then 2030 for the amateurs and who the hell knows with the driver again, Could you I guys, think it's the most fascinating part for sure. Could you guys imagine a scenario? And I don't believe it because of the OEMs and the, and the way that they're marketing and all of those things are, are developed around the, the pro game where, you know, this year at the NBA dunk contest, Wilson unveiled a 3d printed basketball that performed exactly the same as a, regulation basketball but it was 3d printed in this like frame and it was it was a very cool i thought it was a very cool thing but you know if you're lebron or any other like nba player like you play like the ball that you have to play did you imagine the pga tour being like listen guys we've regulated our own golf ball from this manufacturer this is the golf this is the pga tour golf ball and let me tell you right now there would be an uprising like you've never seen before when it comes to these players and being like, we are going to storm the gates. We're going to storm the moat of, of the, the PGA tours headquarters and say like, there's, this is not going to be allowed. And so I think that from that perspective of like a standardized golf ball, I don't think it's going to be the case because it's always been about optimization, but to your point, Gene, and I've, and I've tested this and I'm going to put it, I actually, you've, you've given me a really good, a really good starting point for a test as well, because I have modern 460 drivers. I have modern 400 CC drivers. I've got 350 CC drivers and I've got 300 CC drivers. And I can test all of those with a modern golf ball. What a good hit is. I'm not a robot (laughs) and how bad a bad hit is. And I've always posted to my social media, what a good hit is. And they're pretty close. Like a good hit is a good hit with a 400 CC driver. But let me tell you, and I and I have I have I wouldn't call it like high speed camera, but I have camera footage of the gear effect of a persimmon driver being hit off the toe, and that club face opens up like thirty five degrees, and that golf ball starts a little bit right of the target because of the toe, and it just hooks like like a pretty substantial amount, and. I've got, like I said, I'll, I'll post it to social because I think it's a really interesting thing and I've posted it before. But what happens on those mishits, I think professionals should – I'd like to see it. I really, I think it would be very interesting because John Rahm at the, at the Open Championship the year or maybe it was the Scottish Open, like he hit a driver off the – I don't know what it was with a persimmon, persimmon wood and he was like, whoa. And like that's fun. I think when we talk so much about this, the the variability within any game is what makes it interesting at the professional level. Whether it be football and the way players run and catch the football or variability in the way a basketball player shoots the ball or variability in you know hockey, which at one point was very slim. We talk about the equipment and like the great size of goalie pads and all that stuff. Variability makes any professional sport interesting because it gets people interested in the idea of like what the outcome could be. But if you know that a, a, a professional golfer is going to swing at 120 miles an hour, hit it anywhere on the face and hit it relatively close to the fairway, that's really not that interesting. Guys still miss fairways all 
the time. As I was to say, but and, it's, that's that's where bomb and gouge came from. You know, they just they just swing as hard as they can, go find it, hack it out. I mean, we've we've well, seen, we've seen it. Like some guys have had some guys have made a lot of money with uh, doing that. Well, it's a, it's also the PGA sets the courses up so that they can 100%. go find it. Yep, yep. They could easily they could easily grow the rough out so yeah. they can't find it. This is an entertainment game. And that, that I mean, won't what be you're changing. talking about, Arby? That will be yeah, changing. exactly. Especially what now, you, what you're what you're talking about. Yeah, what you're talking about, RB? I watched that same video and it was entertaining once for a video. I don't want to see John Rom hit shots like that for a round or for four rounds because I know what that looks like. You know, I, I I play that game and you know I don't I don't want to tune in for that. And and it's 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 the same thing. You don't want to tune in for the chaos, Gene. You know, I, I I know where my bread's buttered, and it's <laughs> it's buttered in uh, in people believing in hope in equipment, and hope in equipment is they think they're going to hit it longer, and they think they're going to hit it straighter, and it's rational versus an emotional brain. The rational brain says I need to go and take lessons, and I need to work on it. The emotional brain says eh, if I put my credit card down, maybe I got a shot, and. That's what keeps us all in business. That's what keeps this podcast going. It's hope. And at the end of the day, when you start reigning in hope, then people start losing interest. And if equipment doesn't matter, then guess what? I mean, suddenly our jobs become more challenging, if not endangered. It, it you, you, you need to always, it, it is tough enough for OEMs right now with the rules in place to innovate. I mean, they are struggling. And if you roll those back, suddenly you don't have marketing potential. I mean, I, I, I haven't even addressed the OEMs and how they're going to react to this. Because the other thing is four years is not a terrible amount of time for OEMs to figure out how to optimize a golf ball for these new standards. And by the way, I will be testing uh, both of those conditions. So stay tuned to see what the difference is in distance on that. But upon so, just hold on one kind second. of back of the napkin before before you before you finish that thought you did bring up the OEMs and i just want to i just want to point this out which i find to be fascinating and i don't know if anybody else is thinking about this but uh, let's i mean titleist number one ball in golf what's their cadence for pro v1 does anybody know I mean, the two next years. one is supposed to come out twenty five, right? Twenty five. Yeah, what is years. that? What is what is twenty five? That's an odd year. What year are they? Yeah. What the year are they implementing implementing the the rules for pros? Even year twenty eight. So what do they do? You have to change your cage. Oh, I, I I think I think at the end of the day, I think the next few months are going to be very telling. Like I said, for the listeners out there. Watch what the PGA Tour does. Watch what Liv does. If if both of them roll over and say we're we're following this, then it's a fait accompli. But if they don't, then watch what the OEMs do. And you, you know, back to chaos, J Wall. That's what it could be. It, it very well could be because you simply you could have these rules in place, and the people that you put them in place for simply decide not to follow them. And if they do that. What's the point of them? Here's yeah. here's my argument, and I'll, I, I've made a bunch of arguments, obviously, but if 
if driving the golf ball so long is so entertaining, why is the PGA Tour and the LPGA Tour on network cable? And the long drive tour is relegated to YouTube and, and like these like little bit of like streaming services. You know why? Because it gets very dull very quickly when it's the exact same thing every single time. But nobody knows and any of those guys' names. They're not artists. They're just they're just other, bongos. They're just, and that's the yeah, thing, right? Like yeah. if, if well, it's just like, like a putting contest. Nobody nobody cares about a putting contest. Yeah, we, it's the totality yeah, of the golfer yeah. that makes it interesting and and their ability to have multiple shots. But at the end of the day, it is about long drives and sticking pins. That's where everybody who's in Oz because they sit around the greens and they sit at the tee boxes and watch. And those have always been the two main driving factors for people's appreciation for skill. Yeah, to have a wedge in your hand or to be a great putter or to you know be deadly from 80 yards, it's, it's impressive. But the thing that people remember about Phil was his bomb drives, you know, much more so than his wedge game. It's just that's the way the game's always been. And it it's what everybody, you know, it's a macho game. And everybody oohs and ahs when you really stripe one off the tee. And suddenly, if you're not striping it as far, even if even if it's five yards, I can tell you, because I see it all the time. There is a perception. If it's five yards, I guarantee you golfers will think it's 15, even though it's not because they will attribute a miss hit to the golf ball. And what I fear is you get in the same situation where as we age as a population of golfers, suddenly they're going to go, eh, the game's not worth it. It's too hard. Golf course is too long. I, I, I don't want to play. And that scares me. Because you're going to have the large portion of the population, uh, the majority of it, over 50. And you could start seeing a lot of players peel off because the, the game's not as fun as it once was. Because, because I'm in an arguing mood, I will, I will say that, do you remember one of the most memorable shots of the Ryder Cup? Was it a drive? Was it an approach shot? No. It was Rory's chip shot on the par, I think it was a par four where he missed the green and he hit that absolutely zipping chip shot that landed like four feet from the cup and absolutely like stopped dead. And even like players on his own team were like, how the hell did Rory hit that shot? It didn't matter that it was a 300 yard drive. It didn't matter that it was a, a crazy approach shot. It was a, it was a short game shot within 30 yards and it had everybody absolutely glued to their phones glued to their te- glued to their television even like i think it was the sep straka reaction where like he's sitting next to a couple other players and they go <gasps> and these are professional golfers reacting to another professional golfer going how the hell did he hit that shot and to me it's the same thing as when recreational golfers go to bandon they go to pinehurst they go to any other like one of these big resorts and they say, what was the most fun that you had? Oh, we played the par three course. And what made the par three course fun? We all hung out together. We all hit these short game shots. We all hit these like fun wedge shots. And to me, the idea of the game of golf being shrunk to this scale where everybody has fun and everybody enjoys hitting these different shots 
like a 300, like a long drive is a long drive. And that's like, it is what it is. And don't get me wrong. It's a big swing in contest. I'm not going to say the word. It's a big swing. How far can you hit a contest? See, look, look, I understand. This is the PG. You, you, you can, you can say it. This isn't. I'm not, no, good. you're not, you're not going to beat me. Big swinging dick contest. No, nope, yeah, I, I didn't say it. You can say, you you can say penis. You can say dick. You can say whatever you want. I don't. I don't I'll care. Is it? Come on, man. <laughs> I'm well, not going to say says, it. says poop instead of shit. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm. I'm very. I am extremely it's, media it's, trained it's, it's, in this it's perspective. Friendly Canadian upbringing. I, I, don't, I don't. I don't hold it against them. I'm. I'm just I'm a really bad influence. To, I'm too media trained to go there, but let me tell you, <laughs> that that gets very, very uninteresting very quickly. Whereas when you see the golf ball roll, you see the golf ball end up close to the target. All of those things become very interesting, and I think as soon as golfers realize like that part of the game is like, oh yeah, like that's really cool, but it's not something that like creates variance. Well then, that's where a potentially shorter golf ball on these on again relatively shorter golf courses becomes like drastically more interesting. And I think I still think of like the Presidents Cup in Australia on Royal Melbourne, Tiger Woods, one of the greatest golfers in the world, playing match play, and everyone was glued to their television because you saw the golf ball roll, you saw the the what the 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 way the shot flew through the air and the outcome when it hit the ground and where it rolled to, that is what had every golf fan, like every real golf fan glued to their television. To me, that is what it means to watch golf. And it doesn't mean saying, you know, some very, and I'll give them credit, very, very skilled cameraman going, there was a golf ball against a blue background. Wow. It's going far. That's just relative. That's just relative to like whatever it is. It's a it's a white dot on a on a forty seven inch television going. Ooh, that seems like it's going far. Who cares? It could be a spaceship going into space. It doesn't matter, right? Like, but once the golf ball gets close to the hole, that's where stuff gets real interesting. We're not going to convince RB otherwise. This is this you're not. I'm, I'm not going to this gonna, hill, and he's going to die on it. I'm gonna I'm gonna die on this hill. But let me tell yes. you, it's really fun to talk to you guys about this because I I. I endlessly appreciate the conversation because I do respect that other people have different viewpoints. Yeah. And that's what makes this podcast great. We all have different viewpoints. So I think we, we talked about, we were going to keep this pod short. It was not short <laughs> and that's okay. Every time there's, there's always good takes. And I think everybody appreciates that. Uh, hopefully everybody out there listening feels like they're leveled takes. Uh, we, we get off the rails from time to time, but I, I feel like we've got a, a really smart crew here who knows their stuff. And, you know, the only thing that we're trying to do is inform. And especially at this time with, like I said, a lot of misinformation out there, we're trying to, to inform more than, than ever before. So hopefully you found this podcast to be riveting, informational, whatever, whatever you, th- whatever your, whatever your descriptor is for it. So why don't we call that it? for an emergency pod, a fully equipped. As always, if you want more gear news, and there's going to be a lot of it, there's a lot of social clips coming, probably some from this fair podcast too. Check us out on social channels. We are at fully underscore equipped on Twitter and at fully equipped golf on Instagram. Thanks as all for listening. We'll see you next week for a regular, thankfully. Thankfully.
episode.